Well, it is a great joy to be back here at Holy Trinity. Uh, just to empathize with your rector, Father Joe, uh, and his concern for liturgical correctness, Father Lawrence and I went to the same seminary, but he has had liturgics classes more recently than I have. And so even though I may stand under judgment, I still believe in the mercy of God. So. <laughs> Today we have a very significant passage in the ministry and life of Jesus. And when Jesus made his last entry into Jerusalem prior to his crucifixion, you remember that he was met by an excited crowd waving palms, and that's what we're going to celebrate next week is Palm Sunday. And the people were waving palm branches, and they were shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And John comments that the people gathered because they heard Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. God was up to something. The Pharisees, however, the religious leaders, had a different view. They made a cryptic observation. They said, the whole world has come after this Jesus. He's been doing things. He's been preaching. He's been doing miracles. The whole world is being attracted to him. And as evidence of this, in the gospel for this morning, we hear that there are Greeks, not Jews, but Greeks, seeking out Jesus, worshipers, God-fearers in Jerusalem. And they come to Philip and Andrew and say, we would see Jesus. Now, Philip and Andrew both had Greek names. And I believe that these people hoped that Philip and Andrew would intercede with Jesus and maybe would pave the way for them to have a few moments with him. And so they did. And Jesus' response was surprising. Because he didn't say, I'm not seeing Greeks now. Remember, he often said, well, my ministry is only to the house of Israel right now. And he didn't say, I would be glad to see them. What he did is he looked at these Greeks, their appearance and their seeking him out, as a sign that the climax of his mission and ministry had come. He said in verse 23, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, so far, Jesus' ministry had been limited, with a few exceptions, to the lost sheep of Israel. And the Greeks were a sign that a turning point had come. Now salvation would be offered to Gentiles as well as Jews. And his death would be the beginning of a proclamation of the gospel to the entire world. His resurrection would empower the church for the Great Commission. Now, the cross of Jesus is the place where judgment happens. It's the place of judgment where the sinfulness of man reaches its lowest depth and where sin itself is defeated in the righteous one who knew no sin. Let Satan do his utmost. It's here that Satan's doom will be sealed. The cross is the focal point of history and the terminus of time. It exalts the Messiah, connects earth and heaven, brings down the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. It's the meeting place of nations. The fruit of Christ's death is our salvation. This is why this is Jesus' time to be glorified. 
Jesus' glory, first of all, consisted in opening heaven's door wider and wider so that men and women from every language, tribe, and culture could find their seat at Christ's table and become part of his family. That's one of the things we are celebrating today in the sacrament of confirmation and reception. We're praying for people to be anointed with the Holy Spirit. We're welcoming them through their faith in Christ into the family of Christ and and rejoicing as they join us at his table. I remember one time where this was made very vivid for me. As some of you may know, I've been a missionary overseas, and so I like to tell missionary stories. And in my early ministry, I was asked to go to South Africa during the time of apartheid. And I was asked to pastor by the archbishop a multiracial church. And being an American, I was kind of a neutral figure politically for the South Africans. And there came a time where I had also developed very good relationships with the clergy and the people of the townships where the black folks were restricted to live. And there was another Anglican church called St. Cyprian's, and they began to pray at St. Cyprian's, and we began to pray. What could we do? What would Jesus have us do? What's, what is something as Anglicans we can do that tells the truth about who we are? And so we felt God wanted us to have a communion service. And so our white folks from our congregation and our multiracial people went into the township, which was against the law. And we gathered with our black brothers and sisters at St. Cyprian's. And we had a wonderful time of praising the Lord. We gathered around the Lord's table. And there was a holy moment as... People were kneeling at the altar rail to receive communion. And there was a big circular window in the back of St. Cyprian's, and the sun was setting. And it was one of those days where you could see the sunbeams. Have you ever seen that? And the sunbeams were falling on the people, kneeling at the altar rail, receiving communion. And there was a holy silence in the church. And the only thing that you heard was the priest saying, the body of Christ, the body of Christ, the body of Christ, black, the body of Christ, white, the body of Christ, rich, the body of Christ, poor, the body of Christ. In Christ, we were one. And it was a powerful, powerful witness to the truth of what Jesus was doing this day. He was opening wide the doors of heaven. He was bringing down the barriers between peoples and cultures, uniting us all through his love and sacrifice on the cross as one people, no matter where we live and what our background is. The book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 5, verse 9, says that when we go to heaven, we're going to sing a new hymn. And do you know what the words of the hymn are? The hymn goes like this. We will sing, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on earth. Because we know Jesus, 
we follow him, not only receiving him as our Savior, but following him as our Lord. And we have the joy of knowing that we are joined with people who are very different than we are, but are the same in the fact that they have acknowledged Christ as Savior and Lord. If you wish to see Jesus glorified, and you are a Christian, then you should praise him for your salvation and seek others to find him. Well, I remember once when I was also in Africa and was asked to go into Mozambique. And Mozambique at this time was the poorest country on the face of the earth. The average annual income was $90 a year. And they had just kicked the communists out and were beginning to restore their country. And I was asked to go in and bring encouragement to the people that had been in the Anglican church in Mozambique. And for seven years, not a single church service had been allowed to be held in Mozambique. The communists had shut down all the churches. But the interesting thing that was discovered is even though the churches were closed, the Anglican church had doubled in size. Why? It's because the people when they met in the jungles under the trees with their priests at three in the morning to celebrate Holy Communion, had a faith and hope that reached out and said something to the people in their communities, that there was a God, that there was hope, that there was a community of faith where they could receive sustenance. And so it was a very powerful time. And the last service that I was there with the bishop, Bishop Singulani, we were in this church uh, in, a, in a village. A village could be 30,000 people. The roof was gone. There were no glass in the windows. There were bullet and shell holes in the walls. And I preached, and we had a wonderful service. And at the end, the senior warden got up and said to the bishop, uh, Bishop, uh, Father Jackson has preached, but you have said nothing. Do you have anything that you would like to share with us? And Bishop Singulani was quiet for a moment. And he thought, and then he said, yes, there's something I'd like to say to you. And so the senior warden said, please do. Bishop Singulani got up, and he looked at the people, and he looked at the senior warden, and said, I am never coming back to this church again. The senior warden said, well, well, Bishop, why? Why aren't you coming back? And the bishop said, Here we are in this beautiful church, worshiping and praising God, gathered as one people around his table, and there's a neighboring village of 30,000 people where there's not a single Christian. If you do not plant a church in this next year, I'm never coming back here. I'm going to go to that village and do a preaching mission. And the people stood up and said, Bishop, we will do it, we will do it. And on the way out, the bishop leaned over to me and he said, sometimes the people of God just need to be reminded of who they are. And then later he told me that they had planted 50 churches in the last nine months. And so it was really powerful. One of the things that Bishop Singulani was referring to is that it's an ancient Christian custom that at confirmation, which we, were, which we will celebrate in a moment, that after the bishop lays hands and prays for the empowerment 
of the Holy Spirit on those who will be received and confirmed, that the bishop would then look at the person and slap them on the cheek. And he would say to them, Woe be unto you if you share not the gospel of Christ with others. And it was a reminder that all of us, if we know Christ, if we are part of the family of Christ, that it's a part of our obligation, it's a part of our joy to share the good news of the gospel with others. And so woe be unto us if we do not help others find Christ. Now you know why the church in Mozambique doubled in size when all the doors of the churches were locked. It's because the people knew and understand their calling, understood their calling, that they were to share the gospel of Christ with others. So the first way that Jesus is glorified in this passage is that he opens the door of heaven wider and wider to all people of every race and tribe and culture and language. But Jesus was glorified in another way. And he said, the hour has come when the Son of Man should be glorified. And it was by dying for us on the cross that Christ was glorified. And the next verse in the gospel says this explicitly in verse 24. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The one who loves his or her life will lose it, while the one who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Well, what do these verses mean? The image is of a grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies. And clearly, Jesus is pointing ahead to his crucifixion. So the teaching is that unless Jesus died, there would be no fruit. There would be no salvation for sinners. But if Jesus did die, his seed would be scattered and many would come to faith and be saved. And so it was only the crucified Christ dying in the place of sinners who saves. Now, it is not the example of Jesus that saves. Jesus is not saying to us that if we will only follow his example and try to live as he lived, that we will find fulfillment in this life and salvation in the world to come. That's not the message. We are saved not by following his example, but by placing our faith in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And as we know Jesus as our Savior, then we come to follow him as our Lord. And his examples become his example becomes a path for us to follow. Christ's glory is seen both in opening wide the door of salvation to all people and in his paying the price for our sin on the cross. This is what theologians call Christ's substitutionary atonement. He took our place on the cross. Now think for a moment when you were a child. How many of you, when you were little, were taught to memorize John 3.16? Oh, quite a number. Let's see if we can say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know the gospel. You know the gospel. And this is good news. Do you believe it? 
And are you willing to share this good news with others? That's our joy. The good news has come. Christ is glorified. And he has called us to join with him in the proclamation of his good news to the world. May we be faithful. May we be faithful. Let us pray. Most merciful God, who by the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, delivered and saved the world, grant that by faith in him who suffered on the cross, we may triumph in the power of his victory. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.